Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards Hot Stove edition of the podcast. The Red Sox have finally made a move on December 29th, nearly 60 days into this hot stove season, probably the slowest start really in in franchise history in terms of major moves. Craig Breslow finally crawls out from under his rock to sign former Chicago White Sox ace Lucas Giolito, who is pretty high on the list for a few of us here on the podcast. Mm. You kind of need a law degree to understand his uh, contract. And if I'm being completely honest, this is take two of me trying to do this. I just scrapped the first episode 38 seconds in. So here we go again. Giolito has a two-year guaranteed deal with the Red Sox for $38.5 million. However, he can opt out after the first year of that contract. If he chooses not to opt out and then pitches at least 100 or, excuse me, pitches less than 140 innings in 2025, the Red Sox would then pick up a $14 million club option on him for 2026. So he could potentially be with the Red Sox uh, for three seasons. Now, he does have a strong record of durability. He's pitched well over 140 innings the last three seasons in a row. Uh, before that would be the COVID year anyway. But this is a guy with a strong record of durability. So again, 18 years, uh, 18 million, excuse me, for the first year. Uh, if he chooses not to opt out, he will make 19 the second year. Pitches less than 140 innings in that second year. Club option for 14 million in 2026. With me tonight, Nick Face, Micah Storms. Micah, I'll start with you. Your initial reaction. Well, I'm, I was just thrilled to see the pass and tweet come up and then it to be with the Red Sox and the Lucas Giolito was coming to the Red Sox. I was really excited about that after so long of waiting and waiting and waiting and seeing other teams get new toys and we were just sitting there. So a couple days after Christmas, um, but there is my tree is still up. So I guess technically Lucas Giolito is still is under the tree, so I'll take it. Um, but I, I like the deal. I think I probably would have liked a two-year deal, um, maybe a mutual option, but again, I probably would opt out if he has a big year anyways. But I kind of look at this as a one-year deal because if he has the season that I think the Red Sox are hoping and I think fans are hoping, you know, he has a big year, he opts out, and then he goes and gets his three-, four-, five-year deal. That would be probably the dream scenario for both parties. Um, and, I mean, if you're looking at the durability, I think, Terry, you might have stated this on a previous show. He's shown, like, John Lester-type durability since 2018. You know, the, the, the amount of starts, the fewest starts he's made in a season is 29. If you exclude the COVID year, he still made 12 that year. But if you're getting almost 30 single 30 starts every single season, you take that in a heartbeat. And with this Red Sox rotation currently, I don't know if there is a pitcher where I would feel comfortable saying, yep, that guy's guaranteed to give us 25 starts. I don't think there is a guy currently who could do that. I would put money on Bayo to be the best 
guy to possibly do it. But now Giolito easily is the guy where you can say we can at least count on him for innings. And that's important. Over the course of 162, we saw last year, the Red Sox were constantly throwing, you know, two bullpen um, games per um, rotation, you know, full rotation. That doesn't cut it in the American League East over the course of a full season. So Giolito gives them that durability. Hopefully with Andrew Bailey, um, he can figure something out, limit the home run ball, which was a problem last year. But the upside is, I mean, I think we stated on previous shows that we think he's got the opportunity to be one of the highest upside pitchers that were available this offseason. And I truly believe that. So I think this is a good buy. Um, I guess there is technically some risk with the idea that if he has a really bad 2024 he would probably say, yep, I'll take the second year and the Red Sox would be stuck with him going into 2025. But um, I'm not really focusing on that. I, I think he's going to bounce back um, being out of two dumpster fires in the White Sox and the Angels. I think getting to Boston where baseball matters, um, I think it'll be good for him. I like the deal. Nick, thoughts on Giolito? Well, the big thing that I enjoyed about this on a Friday night opportunity was it came from passing right away. We saw this coming. It didn't come from Heyman, didn't come from any of the other stiffs that are out there. It came right from the guy that you want to hear the information from. Some people, they're critical over two years, $38.5 million. That is the going rate right now for what you're going to see for any of these pitchers that at least have been around the league and they're durable and everything. The big thing that I liked on Giolito is he was number one on my list with being a reclamation project, a guy that I felt confident in saying I think can be retooled, rekinked, figure out a couple different things from mechanics and technique working with Andrew Bailey to get him back to being bona fide ace pitcher like he was with the Chicago White Sox for a long time. Terry and I did the live YouTube show a little bit earlier about this. And one of the big things that I don't think people talk about enough on Giolito is, again, the durability side of things. The guy's never hurt. I mean, he's got a rubber arm. This is something that the Red Sox have not had, much like you said, Micah, with John Lester. I mean, a guy that you need to take that ball every fifth day that you can count on as a proven major league pitcher. Red Sox have not been able to say that for the past three, four seasons. They just haven't. I mean, you look at Chris Sale. I mean, we're still hoping that that guy's going to come and do give us something this upcoming season. I'm even a little bit cautious on Brian Bayo to tell you guys the truth. I don't know what we're going to expect going into here. I want to be positive. I want to be optimistic here. But we need quality. We need durability. We need guys that are going to get the job done and deliver. The other thing, too, thinking about Giolito is the fact that he played for the White Sox last year. The White Sox were trash, complete trash. That team didn't care. Their organization with their manager and personnel that was on the field, a lot of, a lot of players just kind of let it go, and there wasn't enough commitment to buying into a team. Case in point, Lance Lynn. I mean, Lance Lynn had a pretty bad season with the White Sox, goes to the Dodgers and has a rejuvenation <laughs> and he's pitching great again. So that's where my hope and 
feeling pretty good about this whole thing with getting a guy like uh, Lucas Giolito back here to Boston. I think that this has an opportunity here to be one of the better moves that any of these teams in the offseason have had if they're able to find the true Lucas Giolito. So I'm very happy with the move. But let's not you know, throw a party, New Year's Eve party and everything like this just with this one move so far. There are many more things that, in my opinion, need to happen as well. So this is a great step. I tweeted it out, and I said, this is a great step. It's a baby step in the right direction, but we need to see more, more action. Let's deliver more goods here. I, like you guys, I'm, I'm pretty excited for the move. I think it's the most significant starting pitching free agent acquisition since Nathan Avaldi in 2019. And if you're asking me, well, he was here in 2018 too. That's true, but he was a rental when we picked him up that summer um, from the, uh, from the race. So this really has been, you know, the best since then. I mean, who else have you had? I mean, Garrett Richards, I immediately trashed that one. I trashed the Michael Walker one. That one, it worked out okay. You only got about four months of him, which, you know, was kind of a bummer. But uh, And then you get Corey Kluber and, and Paxton in a weird deal in which he only pitched last year. So uh, I think the upside here is immense, and I've said it on recent shows. I really think Lucas Giolito can be the steal of the offseason. I really believe that. I think Jordan Montgomery is going to pitch okay for the team that has him, but he's not going to go out there and, and be an ace-type guy with an extremely high strikeout per nine, uh, you know, like Giolito is. And who knows with Snell, he could be phenomenal. He could be extremely frustrating for whoever signs him. But it, it is a it is a great signing. Um a couple things uh, Nick kind of touched on one of them. Chicago was a dumpster fire and not only did, did Lance Lynn struggle, but their reigning Cy Young pitcher Dylan Cease had a terrible follow-up year from his Cy Young just completely fell on his face. Uh, you know, basically similar to poor Cello with, with the Red Sox. And there's been some comparisons there. I, I hope for, Whoever signs him, uh, that doesn't continue to be a comp throughout Cease's career um, because Porcello was only really good for maybe a few of the several seasons he was up and then, of course, retired at age 32. Uh, you know, when some of these guys this year are getting big contracts at that age. So it, Chicago was just a dumpster fire all the way around. Uh, then he goes to from that dumpster fire to the Anaheim dumpster fire. And I, I've never I don't remember the last time the Angels, anyone ever raved about their pitching program. And he ends up going to Cleveland He and for the, what ended up being the final month of the year. That didn't go super well. He gave up nine earned runs as Giolito uh, had two really good back to back seven inning outings. And then got tagged for five runs uh, in his two outings after that. So kind of mixed there in Cleveland. But um, I think Andrew Bailey could potentially be the best pitching coach he's had in his career. So I, I think he's going to be in good hands. 
Um, they'll have six weeks of spring training to kind of get that command dialed in a little bit. The long ball was a problem. He led all of Major League Baseball last year, I think with 43 home runs, which is astronomical. I don't know if I've ever even seen that many. But the good news is he did punch out 204 batters. And if you want to compare that to anyone on the Red Sox last year, uh, Nick Pavetta led the team with 183. So Giolito is a very high strikeout guy. So if we can just get that command dialed in a little bit more, get the walk rate down, then, man, <laughs> we're going to be in for a fun season. And he probably will be the ace of the staff if, if he can rein those in. Like Micah said, he's pitched uh, anywhere in the last three seasons since COVID. He's pitched anywhere from 160 to 184 innings per year. The dude is a horse. And we didn't get any of that out of the high bloom guys. All the bloom guys, with the exception of Waka, I think he had like a six week summer vacation. But um, everyone else was done before the All Star break. Another guy who he didn't get injured, but he was terrible. Martin Perez basically fell out of the rotation, had to pitch out of the bullpen that year and only in mop up duty. So it's a, it's a great, I, I think it has the potential uh, to be a really good signing. So here's the question though, and I'll kick it to Mike on this one. Is Giolito the ace that, is he the number one and now we're going to fill the number two slot or is he hopefully the guy we're going to plug into the number two slot and still either sign a free agent, you know, whether it's Montgomery or possibly Snell or perhaps a trade, uh, you know, uh, Lizardo, I think it's Jesus Lizardo. Uh, from the Miami Marlins has been a name that's been kicked around quite a bit. I don't know how much sense it really makes for Miami to make that trade where he's got three years of control left, but um, there's a couple of different avenues you could get even a bigger upgrade from Giolito. So which way do you think it goes? I'm hoping that Giolito is the number two because one of the reasons why I was so in on Jordan Montgomery was the durability piece. The, the, the Red Sox rotation needed that component to it. And I think Giolito provides that durability piece. So now I'm kind of more willing to go for, you know, I, I would be more willing to go for Blake Snell now because, you know, if, if he doesn't give you a crazy amount of innings, well, you have Giolito as that rock to give you innings. Um, I don't think the Red Sox are going to go the route of Blake Snell. I also don't think they're going to go the route of uh, Jordan Montgomery. I just don't see this ownership group giving a contract north of $150-plus million to a pitcher in his 30s or 29, you know, 30 years old. I don't see that happening. Um, that That's just not how this ownership group has operated pretty much most – of the time that they've owned the Red Sox and especially over the last couple of years with how they've spent money. So I think if they do add another pitcher, which I do think they will add one, I think it's going to be via trade. Uh, Lazardo, I think makes sense for the Red Sox. Um, if I'm the Marlins, I probably would want uh, Jaron Duran and maybe one or two other pieces. 
um, because Duran, I think, has five years of team control. So I think if you get a player who has five years of team control compared to Lazardo's three, maybe you have some negotiation there, um, you know, where you don't have to give up one of the top three Red Sox prospects. Um, but I'm sure one of those three prospects are going to be at least discussed in a deal because you're getting, you know, a, a, probably a number two or number three pitcher who has three years of team control. That that comes at a high price. So I think via trade is where they will go next. Um, but I, I think if the Red Sox are going to go into the season with a with expectations to compete, you have to get somebody who is a little bit more of a sure thing than Lucas Giolito. That would be my hope for this, uh, you know, the remaining of the offseason. Nick. Yeah, I've I've thrown that name Lazardo around a little bit. I think it's going to take a lot of your stock that you have for prospects that could be parting with Meyer, could be with um, Duran of sorts. I really don't think I want to trade Duran, though. I don't know what you guys feel on the matter. I know we ride it high, and he had a very good season until he got hurt from everything. But I think he's too much of an asset for this team moving forward, especially when he was really like getting going in that leadoff spot and how much of a difference maker he was on the bases. And I don't think that that's somebody that, at least in my eyes, I would want to part with unless I know it's bringing me some sort of an ace that's back. I know Terry doesn't like this name. I'm not as hateful of the name. Shane Bieber with Cleveland, uh, not Cleveland, the Guardians. I want I almost said the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Guardians is a name that is out there. I don't like his numbers that we've seen with just velocity going down each season from everything. But I do also have to look at some of his other numbers just record-wise. He's a proven winner. He was in contention for a while for being Cy Young from a long time. Again, I think working with a quality pitching coach of Andrew Bailey could turn him around, but that would also put two guys that there's somewhat of a risk trying to take it with a Giolito and a Bieber, bringing them in here and really trying to count on them. I think that I'm good with taking this risk with Giolito. The one with Bieber, if you putting those two together, it just doesn't make that much sense to me right now, but that's just another name that's there. I don't think the Red Sox are also going to shell out the money for Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell. Case in point, Jordan Montgomery's been in Boston for near two months. I guess his wife's going through labor and everything, and they wanted to be here in Boston, and he's doing all of his workouts and everything here. I mean, the clock is ticking. They could have easily have signed him at this point with him being right here in Boston, wanting to be here and everything, and there's no communication about anything that's going on with him. If I were to pick Jordan Montgomery versus a Blake Snell, I still think I look more at that durability side of things, and I do look at a Jordan Montgomery. Uh, I do like Micah's point with stuff. Blake Snell, to me, has more of that power stuff. I just, again, I have been harping on this all offseason so far, is your durability and guys that you can count on that can take the ball, and it drives me absolutely insane. When I see a starting pitcher go four or five innings, I'm old school. I like it six at least. And if you can give me a seventh, that's wonderful. But I am so done with this song and dance of openers, two, three innings, 
Four innings, 60 pitches, goodbye. It, it is, doesn't do it for me. So I would so much rather prefer to see like a Jordan Montgomery in, in fold. I think we, we all would. Um, I'm definitely out on Bieber. I wouldn't put, uh, I don't know. I probably would put Bloom in that trade, but probably everyone else is safe. Uh, I just don't. The strikeout per nine has gone from 12-something down to 7-something, and it would be the most Red Sox thing ever to watch him just get tuned up in Fenway Park for at least half a season. Um, one thing I've kind of warmed up to a little bit is this came out in an article yesterday. I think it was Chris Cotillo of Mass Live uh, said something to the effect of teams are looking at Blake Snell and Boris might have to go the more creative route with Snell. And so what, what that could mean is shorter term deal, but really high you know, average annual value before he got in trouble, Trevor Bauer had a crazy contract worth, I think around 120 million or so and over three years. And I don't think Snell will get that high as far as the AAV, but three years, 105 million, that would be 35 per that. That would be what you would pay a Cy Young caliber guy. I I could be okay with that. And I'm not a big Blake Snell guy, but there's not many three-year contracts I, I hate. You go to six or seven years, you could be having really intense remorse by year two or three of that. If it's a short-term deal, I'll overpay. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. And that could be a way to get a guy, you know, like Snell to Boston you probably have to put an opt-out in there. I'd want the opt-out to be after year two. I'd like to have a guy, you know, for guaranteed two years. We don't have that with Giolito. I would probably want that with Blake Snell. Now, the Red Sox, I mean, there have been reports that we've been connected to him, but we've been connected to everybody. And I just, so I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. Snell would cost a draft pick, a compensation pick. So, uh, and the Red Sox have been on record that they're less likely to do that, but I'm all for creativity if it comes, you know, with a guy like Snell. I think with Montgomery, he just wants the guarantee because he's not a $30 million a year guy anyway. So it's really hard to get creative uh, with him, but that is one, one way to go. Now, one guy, if you listen to my two rant episodes, which are the two leading into this episode, one guy I want no part of is James Paxton. And if you bring Paxton back, you have the entire Bloom crew plus Giolito. And there is risk with Giolito. And I think collectively, there's too much risk. I think with Chris Sale, you're going to get 12 to 14 starts. Eight of them will probably be really good. He'll probably give up six or seven runs in the, the other four or five. So I, I'm not, I'm not putting, I'm not banking on a playoff run with Chris Sale. I, I think he's a huge liability to that. Um, you're going to have either Pavetta or Crawford in the rotation, huge liability there. 
And then, you know, Giolito, I mean, he's until he proves otherwise, there's a little bit of, of liability. And then to put a guy like Paxton back in, the, the scary thing with Paxton isn't even his injury history necessarily. I mean, that is very concerning. But that dude completely lost his mechanics in his last couple starts. Just completely could not command the ball. And teams were sitting on him and he was getting slapped around. There's no way to look at James Paxton other than the fact he's a huge threat to to put you on your couch in the month of October. So none of him. We don't have to set the bar sky high, but we got to give a guy, we got to get a guy that's, you know, proven quality. Yeah, we just got to move away from this Chris Sale, James Paxton way of life. I'm just, ship sailed. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. I don't even want Chris Sale back this season. I just want to be transparent about that. I'm done. Even if Sale comes out and becomes comeback player of the year, I'm probably still going to say to myself, why is he still here? I got to root for him. I got to watch him every five days if he comes out five days. It's just I feel like we're banking on – I got my expectation at like zero for for like a Chris Sale or a Paxton to see what, what could come next. Micah, any more thoughts? I mean, I, I think it would be foolish to go into 2024 with Sale and, and Paxton as two of the five. I just – they to me, I, I would put the over under combined starts at like twenty eight and a half. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, that's that's not good enough for two starters. Like twenty eight and a half for one starter, sign me up. But for two out of the five arms, I just to me that 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 screams twenty twenty three vi- or twenty twenty three vibes, and I don't want any vibes from twenty twenty three. I, I want to leave them in twenty twenty three in two more days, and I never want to feel those vibes or see those vibes again because it was terrible. Um, I mean, there is a part of me that wonders what every single Red Sox pitcher is going to look like that, that Dave Bush is no longer there. (laughs) You know, like what do they look like now that they actually have a pitching coach who can actually make adjustments? I'm curious about Tanner Houck, curious about Garrett Whitlock, all of those guys. Um, And Paxton. Yeah, sure. I'm curious, but it was really the health piece. Like once, Paxton hurt his knee all of a sudden he kind of lost his mechanics so you know how 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 many healthy starts are you going to get even if he fixes his mechanics the the health piece is such a a huge question mark and I just I don't want to go back down that road I'd much rather see them go out and sign on Marcus Stroman at, at the very least I don't want him but if you told me Pick your poison, Marcus Stroman or James Paxton. I'm taking Marcus Stroman every single day of the week, and I, I don't love that either. But I I want somebody who can at least make 20, 25 starts that I feel comfortable with, and James Paxton is n- the opposite of that. Not saying I want Marcus Stroman. I, I don't like him. But um, I, I just I want a big league starter because if they get one more starter – that basically guarantees that Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock are going back to the bullpen. And if you add those two arms to Schreiber, Martin, Jansen, you, they could legitimately have a super pen. And I'm not even I'm not even kidding about that. Like they could have one of the best bullpens in baseball. And you don't have to then have 
a top five or even a top 10 starting staff. You just need your staff to be productive and give you some innings and then ride that bullpen. That's what I really want them to do in 2024. I don't think they're going to have a rotation where they have, you know, their top five in innings or top five in ERA. Just give their offense a chance because so many times last year we watched a team where it was the fourth inning and the the offense had a four run deficit or a five run deficit. That is so deflating every single night, and I just want to see a rotation that gives this team a chance and just allows Fenway Park to get some energy and the you know some crazy bounces at Fenway because the the offense I think will be there especially if they go out and add a you know Teoscar Hernandez or they add a, an impact bat I think the offense will be there but the, the starting pitching was so bad last year it never gave them a chance and it never gave their bullpen a chance which their bullpen was actually pretty good last year it just they all, the the pitching was such a problem, and one more starting pitching um, addition, I think, really puts a completely different perspective going into twenty twenty four. Yeah, it was can't m- you see that headline, Terry, for tomorrow? Micah Storms calls for Marcus Stroman. Can't you see that headline right in your newspaper? <laughs> Love it. Well, if it happens, it's Micah's fault at this that's point. A, for, that, that, for, that's a hell of a take, Micah. Hey, hey, don't, I didn't. I, do oh, you know, you're misquoting me. I did not say I want Marcus Stroman. But that's what the media does in Boston all the well, time. We stir the pot. We get it going. I, all I said was if you had – all right, Nick. James Paxton or Marcus Stroman, who are you picking? One year deal. Oh, I'm choosing Marcus Stroman too. Okay. I'm 100% okay. with you. So, we so now then, we're – we're so all, I think Terry headline, might even say the same. I don't the know. The headline can be Micah Storms and Nicholas Face. Yeah, Marcus Stroman. I don't want the We're all in this. <laughs> We're all in this together. If you guys I agree. Speak that into existence. I just for the the listening <laughs> audience, I had a hell of a Monday. Not actually Monday wasn't the day. It was Tuesday, but I just I I posted a tweet saying, so I guess Wander Franco isn't going to face charges. You know, nothing. Crickets for four months. The very next day, two of his houses gets raided. He's missing in action. And, like, all of Twitter rained down on me because I literally spoke that into existence. Um, But anyway, as far as Strowman goes, um, I don't like him. But it it would make for some interesting podcasts, you know. There would be some David Price Fortnite controversy level podcasts because Marcus Stroman couldn't handle Chris Cotillo's post game questions, so he had a big meltdown or something. Well, uh, I know we can guarantee you one thing, Terry. We'd all be blocked. I'll tell you that. I already am blocked. I've been blocked since twenty seventeen. <laughs> I, I he's so soft. That's why, like, he should never go yeah. anywhere near Boston. I, that's yep. so. Yeah. But with Micah's talking about the durability, you know, we need guys to go innings. You don't want the Joe Jakes and the Mauricio Yuvera guys coming out of the bullpen because that's why the bullpen sucked last year. It was a lot more of those guys and not enough of Martin and Jansen. So uh, I was just thinking as he was giving that take, remember when you had Lester, Lackey, and Beckett, and you just knew they were giving you close to 30 starts. I know Beckett did have a back injury one year and then Lackey missed a full season with Tommy John. He actually soldiered through the 2011 season, had Tommy John after the season. He only missed that one season. There were no overlaps. 
So that was pretty good. And then he had the best season of his Red Sox tenure in 2013. Uh, you know, it was a true number two that whole season. And But the durability these guys all had, uh, I think Lackey actually was the only one of the bunch to ever even have Tommy John. Lester didn't have it as far as I know, and I don't think Beckett did. Uh, so that's that's what I miss. And if you go to 2004, all of those guys, I think, pitched 200 or so innings. It's uncanny when you look at their lines for the season. It, like injuries were not a thing. It, Brunts, I think 04 you had even – who was the other guy that was with them? It was Pedro Schilling. Derek Lowe, Lowe Wakefield. Oh, Bronson Arroyo. And Bronson, Bronson Arroyo, Arroyo. Yeah. It was just they were they he was, was your, your number five. One. Yeah, he yeah. just didn't start in the playoffs. But um but man, we just we need to get back to that. <laughs> you know? And I know people give Schilling people give Kurt Schilling a lot of crap and rightfully so. But that dude had makeshift surgery on a clubhouse table and then went out and pitched. And it was a great game. It was game six in Yankee Stadium. And and I'm thinking, oh, we're done. We're done. He can't, he's not gonna be able to pitch. And he's gonna last two innings. And he gave you six or seven strong innings. And man, I just I wish I wish this generation of pitchers had the had the toughness, you know, of of the previous generation. But one thing to touch on before we go, in case it happens. Um I don't think it's going to happen, but Teoscar Hernandez been a lot of momentum in the last four or five days. Uh, the Angels are in on him. That, that's a team. They say they're going to compete and they're going to need offense losing Shohei. So that could be a guy they turn to. Uh, the Dodgers are interested in him. The Dodgers don't have a great lineup, really, outside of Betts, uh, Freeman, and, and uh, of course, Otani. I guess Outman took a step forward last year, but... But they could use some offense as well. And I just don't see the Red Sox going past uh, two years. I, I really don't. But, Micah, thoughts? I, I like Hernandez. I mean, the, the right-handed power bat is is needed. Um, I think he would. you could slot him in um, probably four or five spot in the Red Sox lineup and – you can basically pencil them in for 30 home runs and 90 plus RBIs. You know, that's valuable, especially when you just lost Justin Turner, who essentially was very close to those numbers. So don't forget, they haven't replaced Justin Turner yet. And he was a big part of that offense last year. So I'm all for it. Then it just creates an outfield cluster um, because then I would imagine that puts Yoshida at DH, maybe Teoscar DHs a little bit too, but you have a lot of outfielders, especially since they went out and got Tyler O'Neill. So I would imagine uh, Jaron Duran, Sedan Rafaela, or Abreu going to be traded at some point because you'll just have too many guys, and they all technically belong on a big league roster, but they all can't be if that were to happen in Boston. So I would expect to trade then. Um I would be for it. I, I I think three years would probably be my max. Um, I think Terry, you said on your your venting session, which was uh, it was like a therapy session. I think for for a lot of Red Sox fans, um, I think you said you stated his strikeout concerns, and they are valid. I mean, last year they they were really high, and, and you made a good point. Guys who strike out 
at that rate, if that were to continue, they don't typically age well. You're not going to all of a sudden cure your strikeout rate at the age of 32, 33. So I think a three-year deal would be my max. If you get up to four, I don't love it. But if you know this is the price you pay if you get into free agency and you become desperate, you end up doing things you don't really want to do. A fourth year would be something I don't really want to do. Um, but I'd, I'd be interested for sure because – Again, you have to replace Justin Turner. Um, if either of you need me to uh, say anything to Marcus Stroman, uh, he has not blocked me. So if you want to get, if you want to get a message, to, yeah, yeah. If you want to get a nice uh, mouth, you know, a message across, just let me know. Um, I got nothing on Stroman. There's one player I'm trying to find his name. Um, he literally. I was gonna go ahead, Nick. I was going to say why Terry's trying to find his name on that. My comparison here for the Teoscar Hernandez, you and I are similar, Mike, around where we go with three years. I look at the comparison of that of the Mike Napoli deal. Back when they signed him, it was a three-year, I think, $39, 40000000 million. I know the money's gone up in this day and age from everything now, but I don't think the Red Sox were comfortable with going anything over that three years, knowing what the hip concerns and everything like that. We saw the numbers – uh, regress significantly when 2014 came. You know, 2013 was fantastic for Napoli. The bearded brother, wonderful. But I don't. I I I'd have concerns with going anything more than a three year with Hernandez, especially with the strikeout rates. Um, I like the player, but I just don't see what's going to happen with him as he gets a little bit older. Like, will those strikeout numbers continue to go up? So the player I was going to mention, I think, is Chris Carter. He led. He did. So Chris Carter led the National League in home runs in 2016. 41 home runs with the Brewers. And where are the strikeouts? Struck out 206 times. The next season, he gets he gets picked up by the Yankees, plays 62 games, and then his career was over. He never played again. Didn't get hurt either. Just, just had no value other than the fact he could hit a lot of home runs and was a strikeout machine. He also led uh, Major League Baseball in 2013 uh, with 212 strikeouts 182 after that you just don't stick around so hopefully you know in the case of hernandez and i i'm not going to crap on a hernandez deal if it happens either way Uh, you know i did say if we're not getting guriel you know hernandez would be a guy i would probably pivot to but ideally it's just going to be on a one or two year deal because you do have a lot of depth in the upper levels of the minors in your outfield You've got Sedan Rafaela. He's basically your only right-handed hitter of the bunch. Uh, then you're going to have Roman Anthony possibly up in the second half of the season. N- no later than 2025, though. He's going to be an everyday player if we don't put him in a trade. Uh, so I just feel like you you got tons of options there. Uh, and we have Tyler O'Neill this year, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish we would have just stayed off of him, especially if we were going after uh, Tay Oscar. But, um, but yeah, maybe maybe O'Neill could be the DH. Really, maybe that's what happens. Maybe that's the mindset. We don't really know, but 
it, I mean, if he can't play 140 games as a DH, then, you know, what are we doing? But, you know, is what it is. And you guys mentioned Duran. I would trade him for a high-end pitcher. That's the package I'm putting Duran in for. If we trade him for a bunch of minor leaguers, I'm going to be furious. I'm, I'm the biggest Jaron Duran guy on the crew. So trade him for something significant, and I'll live with it. Trade him for a bag of baseballs. I'm going to get really upset. Any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I was just going to – the Chris Carter comparison is very interesting. Um, but in that year, you were saying he had 41 home runs. His average was 222. Um, Teoscar, if you go back to 2020, he hit 289. 2021, he hit 296. 2022, 267. Last year, 258. So he's kind of dropping in average. But he was never at that 222, you know, that that down there. Um, so I'm not saying that that's definitely a possibility when you strike out that many times. But I think the batted ball profile is a little bit better than a Chris Carter in terms of his contact rate. The strikeouts, yeah, you can't argue that. 211 strikeouts, that is Chris Carter to a T. But when he makes contact, I don't think Teoscar is quite all or nothing uh, maybe like a Carter. Um, I think there's a little bit more more contact there. But um, it, if they add Hernandez, that lineup becomes very interesting. Very interesting. Whether they trade Abreu or Duran, it still is super interesting. Um, you have more righties. Um, they still have second base. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, do either of you have a, a feel for what you would like them to do at second base? Just probably defense. I mean, second base is historically the weakest position in, in Major League Baseball in terms of offense. You know, Jonathan India's name's been brought up in terms of a trade, but he's not a great defender. Mm-hmm. I just want good infield defense for once. And you know you're getting it with Story, uh, you know, no matter which side he plays on, short or second. I think Casas will they like- improve this year. I think they like Pablo Reyes a lot. It's just a matter of what the heck he's going to do. I think he's more of a backup type. So yeah, I just don't think that that's very good if you go into the season that way. So I I would take a flyer if he's still going to be out there on a cheaper kind of deal for like a Whit Merrifield. You know, actually, that, that would be a good one. That's probably my top choice right there. He's a righty, I, I like think, Whit. or is he a lefty? Yep. No, he's he a is a righty. Yeah, he's a righty. Yeah. He was with the he was with the uh, Blue Jays. Blue last Jays season. last year. Yeah, was always with the Royals. Solid guy, veteran bat. If especially if you're replacing or saying goodbye to Justin Turner, there's a veteran type that can come into the lineup and at least give you some legitimate MLB style uh, plate approach. Yeah, that's true, and. You could probably, I mean, if the goal is to absolutely stay under the luxury tax under all circumstances, if you you trade for your next pitcher, your next upper rotation guy, that's probably going to be an inexpensive pitcher. That's probably in year one of arbitration, year two max. So you're going to save money there. I don't think Teoscar is going to cost much more than 15 or 16 uh, Guriel got 14 and I think he's a better player even. So I don't see, um, Hernandez really trending higher than that, 
but um so that that would you could afford you know eight to ten million for a guy like like Mirafield, you know if the stars align similarly I was technically I was leaning towards you know a platoon of like Rafaela and um, Valdez at second base. I think that'd be interesting. Um, I know Rafaela technically played shortstop, but I think he could figure out second base with how good of an athlete he is. Um, but I, I I honestly think I would be more willing to see the Red Sox go after Merrifield than Teoscar Hernandez because again, defense is. I mean, it just, it's killed the Red Sox over the last couple of years. I think the pitching has been, has really suffered. They haven't had good pitching, but when you have subpar pitching with bad defense, it's just even worse. And Merrifield's a really good defender at second base. So I think shoring up the infield, um, I think that would be, that would go a long way. He's a right-handed bat as well. He's not the power um, that Teoscar um, would technically provide, but I think I would take Merrifield and a starting pitcher as the final two pieces over Hernandez and a pitcher. I, I just, I don't know. That that intrigues me, I think, more than Teoscar just because of the high strikeout. He can't play defense. He's essentially a DH um, who would have to play the outfield, or you're putting Yoshida out there who is technically a DH. I just, I want to see the defense improve. I still think you need you need a Teoscar type guy in addition to Merrifield. I just I mean, if Trevor Story returns to form, then I, I guess you're good. Um, that would be one solution, I guess. And then if, if Tyler O'Neill gives you what Hunter Renfro gave you in, in 2021, um, you know, then that would solve it as well. But I, I the lineup isn't super sexy either way. One thing that surprised me is uh, Merrifield had 26 stolen bases last year. That's significant. He also had 27 doubles. Was it? Yeah, 27 doubles. So he's a good player. He's, he's been a very very good player for a while. Yeah, very very solid. What do you do for strikeouts? 101. That's like. In fact, he doesn't strike out a ton at all. I mean, he puts the bat on the ball is another reason why yeah. for me, observation-wise, I like it. Guys in scoring position, he's going to put the bat in play or put the ball in play and drive him in. In 2022, he got traded, so he, he spent some of it with Kansas City and then Toronto only 85 strikeouts in 139 games. So that's Verdugo level, not striking out, you know? So that would be a, a good guy to have, uh, you know, in your lineup. I guess his defense has declined a little bit, but I'm sure he's not going to be, um, you know, a dumpster fire. So, all right. I was going to say, I was going to say one last thing before we wrap up to yep. go along with uh, Micah with the point on the Merrifield front. The other thing that I like with him, if that's the direction they want to go, you got to also think about your depth. You got to think about that. I don't know what to expect from Trevor Story coming into next year. So if you have somebody who can be a shortstop, second base, stopgap option that's there, that's pretty versatile, that can go back and forth with that. I think that's something that the team should really think about this offseason or through trade on what they're going to do to uh, go into 2024. 
I'm just before we wrap, I keep adding on and adding on. Um, mm. I just want to see what Emmanuel Valdez's defensive war was last year. I got his page up right now. Where was he at? He was my like, guess. Not good. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say the same. It's not not as bad as I thought. Negative zero point five. So I just I don't really see him having a huge uh, having a really big future uh, in Major League Baseball. So. We'll see. The bat can tease you at times because uh, he's got pop and, you know, can really drive the ball. But, you know, defense is just oof. I thought he was going to be the prize of that Vasquez trade. It ended up probably being a Brayu. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But anyway, uh, everybody have a good uh, new year. I, I'd be shocked if we're back before Monday night, uh, which is New Year's Day. So that would... Uh, give you a show for your Tuesday morning commute, but, um, we'll see. I mean, there's still work to be done as we've laid out the last several minutes. So we'll see if Breslow uh, is ready to strike on someone else. Everyone have a good, safe new year's weekend. Take care.